I want to speak to you this morning about flying above the storm. How do you fly above the storm? I begin reading in Isaiah 40, verse 28. And, and Isaiah begins by talking about what an awesome God Jehovah is. By the way, there's only one true living God. All the other gods are idols. They have eyes they do not see, ears they do not hear, and mouths they do not speak. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the one true living God. And so he begins to describe him. Uh, Isaiah says in verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God. He's eternal. The everlasting God. The Lord. The creator of the ends of the earth. He said he's not only eternal. But he created this world. He is a creator. He's just given us an awesome picture of God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Look here. It says, neither faints nor is weary. What a thing. Somebody think God would faint or be weary. You know what he's saying? Let me tell you something about God. He's all powerful. Not only is he eternal, not only is he creator, he is all powerful. He neither faints nor is weary. Now get this. You don't think God understands you? His understanding is unsearchable. So he tells us he's eternal, he's creator, he's all-powerful, and he's omniscient. He knows everything. And just gives us an exalted view of God. But then he goes on and says, you know, God created man and woman in his own image. But they kind of messed up. And so he looks at his creation, and look what it says in verse 29. He gives power to the weak. Amen? <laughs> He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, you have no might. He gives strength. Man, we think of ourselves, my, man, I, how I, I have no might. I have no strength. But God says he gives power to the weak. And, and to those who have no might, he gives strength. And, and he said, listen, all ages go through storms. He says in verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Wow. But then he said, and here's the verse that our text today. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings like eagles. They shall run and not faint. They shall, walk, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want us to zero in on that. The eternal creator, all-powerful, all-knowing God. It says that when we wait on him, that we can renew our strength. And he said this. They shall mount up as on the wings, like the wings 
shall mount up like wings of eagles. They're going to soar. They're going to soar. And you know, what an awesome picture that is. When God says, listen, they're weak, they have no might, they're falling, they're weary, but those that wait upon me. Now let me ask you a question. Listen to this. What does it mean to wait upon God? Tell me, what does that mean? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, okay? And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Okay, I want you to understand that word wait on the Lord is all over the Bible. But let me tell you what it does not mean. To wait on the Lord does not mean to be passive. Well, I know I've got, I'm weak and I don't have any strength and I know I've got, I know I've got storm all around me and I'm in a storm. Let me tell you something. Waiting on God does not mean that you're passive, doing nothing. Secondly, to wait on God means that you just don't put it in neutral, you know. You just say, well, I'm just waiting on God. To wait on God means, first of all, that you look to him. Oh, so you're weak. So you have no might. So you're weary. So you fall. The storm, there's a storm. So waiting on the Lord means you look to the Lord. You look to him. So many times we get our eyes on the storm. Don't get our eyes on the Lord. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do, to focus on the storm. But waiting on the Lord means that you get your, you look to the Lord. Here's the second thing. It means you talk to him. You talk to him. That's what it means to wait on. You talk to him about the storm. You talk to him about your weakness and lack of power. You talk to him about where you are. Waiting means looking to the Lord. Waiting means talking to the Lord. Let me tell you another thing waiting means. Waiting on the Lord, he says, you'll renew your strength. It means listening to the Lord. You look into him. Boy, it's a storm, Lord. You, know, you look into him and you're talking to him. But you know what you're doing? You're listening to him. What is God saying to me? What is this storm all about? Why am I going through this storm? And so you're listening to see what God has to say to you in in the storm. And, And then waiting on the Lord means you expect God to do something. You're waiting expectantly. You're you're looking to him and, and you have an expectancy in your heart. You know what I'm going to, what's going to happen is I'm going to mount up with wings like eagle and I'm going to soar above this storm. I'm going to overcome this storm instead of this storm overcoming me. You know, an eagle is not afraid of the storm. In fact, you know, I believe eagles enjoy storms because you know what they do? All they do when the wind gets the strongest, they just stretch their wings out. They don't even, they don't even flap their wings. They just let the wind come underneath their wings and they just ride the wind higher and higher and higher and they soar above the storm. They soar above it. You know, it, it was God, Isaiah, under this inspiration of God said, listen, God's going to, if you wait on him, he's going to let you mount up like wings of an eagle. 
And some of you, 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 you just need to, we need to allow by looking to the Lord and listening to him and expecting him, we need to allow the very wind of God, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit to just help us rise above that storm instead of the storm overcoming us. <laughs> a good friend of mine, Peter Lord, had a sermon, and uh, he got a lot of flack for it, but he said, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you live among the turkeys. His, his sermon was turkeys and eagles. <laughs> hey, listen, if God, every one of God's children, God wants us in the storm to look to him, to listen to him, to expect from him, to believe in him, be ready to obey him, and he wants us to rise above the storm. Now, I want to show you some truths in the word of God that no matter what kind of storm you're in, that if you will obey these truths, not just intellectually, but if you let these truths get in your heart, you will soar above the storm. Eventually, it may diminish and be gone. But I guarantee you, if you walk in this truth that I'm going to show you out of Thessalonians, you will mount up with wings like eagles. And it's found over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's just uh, really three verses. And there are four things, four truths that I believe will enable you to mount up with wings like an eagle and soar above the storm. I believe this with all my heart. I've seen it over the years. Look at the first verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. You know what that means? Don't get even. Don't get revenge. It's not payback time. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for others. And beside that 15th verse, I want you to write the word forgiveness. Write it in bold letters. See, if you don't render evil for evil to anyone, you're going to walk in forgiveness. But, but look at the next verse, verse 16. Two words, but I'll tell you they're two of the toughest words that you'll ever live in, but you can, and I want to show you how. After he says forgiveness, then he says, you're in a storm, you want to soar, rejoice always. I wish he'd have said sometime, but he didn't say sometime. He said always. By the way, I looked up the word always. Guess what it means? Always. <laughs> Y'all got it? So forgiveness, I'm going to soar. Rejoicing, I'm going to rise above it. Look at the next one. And this has always been an enigma to me. But once you understand it, it'll set you free. Pray without ceasing. So here's the storm and... You're walking in forgiveness and you're rejoicing. And then, then you just find yourself praying, just waiting on the Lord. He said, just pray without ceasing. Pray. You know, just don't carry this burden alone. And so we find ourselves rejoicing and we find ourselves forgiving and we find ourselves praying. And then look in uh, verse 18. He said, in everything give thanks. 
Well, that's an interesting statement. In everything give thanks. So you see these truths, how they come into every area of our life. And as we believe them, as we believe them, as we walk in forgiveness and we learn how to live a life of rejoicing and we understand what it means to pray without ceasing and we have a thankful heart, can't you just feel the wind of God getting under you and you find yourself rising on the wings of eagles above a storm? Now, these four truths, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the first one, on forgiveness, and then I'll just spend not as much time on the others. You notice he said, do not render evil for evil to anyone. You know, let me talk to you about forgiveness. Did you know that forgiveness is a lifestyle? Did you know that? It's a lifestyle. Do you realize that you have to live a life of forgiveness? A life where you receive God's forgiveness, but a life where you forgive others? The Lord made it so clear to me as I was reading the Lord's Prayer, and he got over there after he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he said, give us this day our daily bread, daily. And the next verse said, and forgive us our sins just like we forgive others. And the Holy Spirit said to me, there's daily bread, but there's daily forgiveness. Do you know that forgiveness is a lifestyle, y'all? We're always having to forgive people, forgiving each other, forgiving others, forgiving ourselves. We always, we just have to live a life of forgiveness. You know why? Now, this won't shock you, but we live in an imperfect world. Did you know that? I hate to tell you, this is a sinful world. And in an imperfect world, stay with me, there are no perfect people. You say, I'm going to find a job where everybody likes me and everything's Good, just dream on is all I got to say. You know, I have found that because we live in an imperfect world and we're imperfect ourselves, that we're constantly needing others to forgive us and that we need to forgive other people. You see, you know, I realized wasn't long after I was married that there are no perfect wives. And all the men said, Amen. But guess what? There are no perfect husbands. You women don't even say amen. Come on. <laughs> Let me tell you, no marriage is going to be, is going to rise and soar above the storm until we learn how to forgive each other. Amen. You have to learn how to forgive your husband. You have to make a choice. You have to learn how to forgive your wife. Oh yeah. Th- there are no perfect jobs. I mean, you're not, you're not going to go to work and everybody's going to be living like a Christian and loving everybody and let me help. Uh-uh. Hey, you don't know how, you've got to understand in an imperfect world, it's not if you'll be offended, it's when. It's not how you'll be offended, but how. Let me tell you something. And if you don't learn to forgive, you're not ever going to rise above the storm. Forgiveness has to become a lifestyle in your life. And we just have, so let me ask you a question. We know that we need to walk in forgiveness. You, you say, well, pastor, we shouldn't be so sensitive. I mean, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't wear our feelings on our sleeves. Well, now, wait a minute. So what you're saying we need to do is just be hard-hearted. Uh-uh. I know people that have been hurt. 
and have not forgiven someone. And so they put up a wall and say, I guarantee you one thing, I'll never get hurt again. And so they shut themselves up. Listen, if you love people and you care about people, guess what? Then you open your life up to where you can be offended. Oh, if you put up a wall and a plastic, shut your emotions down. Hey, but that's not the way God wants us to live. Let, let me quickly say to you and ask you a question. You said, Brother Fred, I know that we need to walk in forgiveness. I, I know what it says over in Ephesians. It says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now listen to what he said. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, you forgive each other. Now why is it so hard to forgive? Why is it so hard to forgive? Come on. Why do we struggle? You say, I don't have any problem forgiving. You have a problem lying. (laughs) Oh, no, let me tell you one thing. The flesh does not want to forgive. Uh Uh-uh. Flesh wants to get even. That's why he said, don't render evil for evil to anyone. Why is forgiveness so hard? You know why it's hard? Because the pain is real. You know, it hurts. Whether it's rejection, somebody lies about you, abuse, misunderstanding, fired for the wrong, and it wasn't your fault. You know, when you're you're hurt, the pain is real, y'all. Sometimes I believe emotional pain is worse than physical pain. And the reason we struggle with forgiveness is because the pain is real. But let me tell you something. You say, this doesn't seem fair, Brother Fred. But can I tell you something? God had one son without sin. He has no sons or daughters without suffering. You know who probably had the greatest emotional pain of all? Jesus. Everybody should have loved him. Everybody should have bowed and worshipped The Bible says he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew what it was to be offended. By the way, remember what he said when he was hanging on the cross? Oh, you're talking about the pain being real? You remember the last words he said before he said it is finished? You do remember what he said? He looked down at the wicked, sinful crowd that had crucified him. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You remember what Stephen said? As Saul of Tarsus held his coat as they stoned him to death, you know what he did? He said the same thing as Jesus said. Father, here's Stephen. Rocks pelting him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The pain is real. That's why it's so hard to forgive. But you know another reason it's hard to forgive? It's because forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not an emotion, y'all. It's a choice. I won't say this to you. Nobody ever feels like forgiving. I've been hurt again. Whoopee. I get to forgive. Come on. Listen. If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you'll never forgive. 
It is a deliberate choice. You go against your flesh, you go against the pain, and you say, but just as you forgave me, Jesus, I deliberately and willfully choose to forgive that person. I make a choice. I forgive them in Jesus' name. And see, you're going against your emotions, but I'm going to tell you what God does. When you make the choice to forgive, God honors that, and he begins to heal your damaged emotions. You choose to forgive, and then God begins to heal your damaged emotions, and they catch up, and the forgiveness becomes an emotional reality in your life. But there's another reason it's difficult to forgive, and this really has set more people free than anything I've ever said about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean approval. So many times I would be talking to people who were greatly offended and hurt, and we were sitting there talking, and and, and, and I'd say, well, listen, what you really need to do is is you you just, I I was wrong, but you need to forgive. And and what they say, this is what they feel. They won't say this to my face, but they're, oh, that's easy for you to say. You weren't the word that was be- one that was betrayed. You aren't, it wasn't you that was hurt. You're not the one that's damaged carrying around this pain. Oh, it's easy to you to say, you're, you're telling me it was wrong, wasn't wrong. You're telling me it was all right. You're telling me to get over it. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to understand that when you forgive a person, it does not mean that you approve of what they did. Forgiveness does not mean approval. You know why I know that? Jesus forgave you and me who are his children. He forgave us of every one of our sins, and he never approved of a one of them. He didn't approve when I told that lie. He didn't approve when I had bitterness. or un- Oh, no. But you see, forgiveness does not mean approval. It was wrong. It was wrong. It'll always be wrong. But even though it was wrong and always will be wrong, then you just choose to forgive them even though you do not approve. And once you understand that forgiveness doesn't mean approval, you can say, well, I hate what they did, and I'll never like what they did, but I forgive them in Jesus' name, and you get free, and you're set free from it. You know, uh, you, you never know what people have been through. You never know who's sitting in a, a, a worship center when you're preaching. But I was preaching in North Mississippi, and I was talking on forgiveness, and I came to this point where it says, listen, forgiveness doesn't mean approval. It doesn't mean approval. It was wrong. It won't be right. But you forgive them just as God forgave you, even though it didn't approve. Well, I didn't know who was um, sitting out there. About I got a letter from the pastor two weeks later. He said, Brother Fred, I'm so glad that you spoke on forgiveness. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that forgiveness doesn't mean approval, that God forgave us of all of our sin, but he didn't approve of them. He said, two of my best people, they love God. They love, Je- they love their church. But they have just been chain- in chains of unforgiveness for over a year. And said, you know why? He said their son-in-law murdered their daughter-in-law. And he's in prison in South Mississippi. 
And they've not been able to get beyond it. However, when they understood that what he did was wicked and ungodly and was wrong and would always be wrong, that they could forgive him without approving of what he did, they said that, you know what, they made a choice. Even though we do not approve and we hate it, we forgive him just like God has forgiven us. And by the way, that set them free. Then they were free. They no longer chained to him in a prison cell. They were free to go on with their lives. Now, if you're going to come, rise above the storm, we've got to walk in forgiveness. And you've got to make a choice. And, and, and there are three things that are involved in the choice, and I'm not going to spend. But what you do when you forgive a person is you cancel the debt. You know, we keep a record of evil. Did you know that? We forget a lot of things, but boy, we don't forget hurt. Hurt number one, I'll remember that. Hurt number two, I'll remember. Oh, I'll never get over that. Hurt number three, I'm. Well, hurt number four, I'll remember that till I die. <laughs> Boy, you got a record. But you know what it means to forgive a person? Let me tell you. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says there was a handwriting of ordinances against our name. One, two, three, four. And Jesus took the handwriting of ordinances against our name and he nailed it to the cross. And the Bible in the Greek says he canceled the debt. He said, you don't have to pay anymore. So when you forgive a person, you wipe the slave clean. You cancel the debt. They don't have to pay anymore. Another thing, unforgiveness is like a cord around your neck and around the neck of the person you hadn't forgiven. Let me tell you something. If, you, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, there's a rope around your neck and it's over here and it's around the neck of the person you haven't forgiven. And you can go 500 miles from home and you'll drag them all the way. And they'll wake up and they're in the bed next to you. Don't you, don't you get tired of dragging people around? So when you forgive a person, you cancel the debt. You cut the cord and you just let them go. I'm not dragging you around anymore. God's forgiven me. I, forg I don't approve. You cut the cord. The lady said to me in Laurel, Mississippi, said, my father, when he passed, the will was not right. He left me out. I did not even expect it or know why. But I'll tell you, it went to the rest of the family. And I have been bitter. And I've hated him. And I've had unforgiveness in my heart for nine years. And you know, I have been t I've had a cord around my neck and a cord around the neck of my daddy who's been dead for nine years. But she said, I want you to know, Brother Fred, I don't approve of what he did, but I'm going to tell you what I did. I cut the cord. I released him. I let him go. I'm no longer tied to him. By the spirit of unforgiveness, I'm living in forgiveness. There's one other picture, and I told you the last few didn't take long. We'll be out by three. But anyway, <laughs> there's one other picture i got to give you. See, we all have to forgive all the time. So I canceled the debt. I wiped the slate clean. You don't have to pay anymore. I forgive you. Jesus, give me the power. Hey, by the way, you will not have the power to forgive unless Jesus gives it to you. Oh, no. You, you'll never be able to forgive in the fresh. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. 
I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet Christ lives in me. I can do all things. Forgiveness. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who is my strength. You can't forgive people in your own power. You see, that's why we're so dependent on Jesus and why we have to stay surrendered to Jesus because the power to forgive comes from the power of the great forgiver himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you try to do it in your own flesh. You can't. But there's another picture that I love greatly. You cancel the debt. You cut the cord. Unforgiveness is like a cage. You put people in a cage that hurt you. Every now and then you let them out, beat up on them, put them back in the cage. Then later on you let them out, beat up on them again, put them back in the cage. Don't you ever forget that. You know what somebody said? When you forgive a person, you open the cage, you let them out, and you throw away the cage. I'm telling you, you want to soar on the wings of eagles? You receive God's forgiveness and admit to God that I can't forgive anybody in my own power, but I choose to forgive others just like Jesus has forgiven me. And you allow the forgiveness of God to operate in you and you cancel the debt, cut the cord, and let people out. You'll find yourself no longer bound. The freest person in the world is a person that's walking in forgiveness. And you'll find yourself mining up with wings like eagles and soaring. But you know, there are three other things here. Verse 15 says, do not render evil for evil to anyone, but pursue what is good for yourself and for others. But look at this next one. Rejoice always. Now, I won't tell you, you, I struggled with that, and I struggled with that until I understood it. And I'm telling you, you know, you see, when he says to rejoice always, You say, but Brother Fred, what about the evil that comes into my life? What about the heartache and the tragedy sometimes I see in those I love? You know, for example, I'm not going to rejoice if my daughter makes the wrong choice and gets in trouble and is running with the wrong crowd. I can't rejoice and say, I'm so glad. I mean, I wouldn't mean it if I did. I can't rejoice in evil. My son gets arrested and gets put in jail. I can't rejoice in that. They fired me from my, from my job, and it was absolutely not me. It was somebody else who undermined me. You want me to rejoice? Well, I got fired for no reason. Let me tell you something. This will help you. When it says rejoice always, you've got to understand the character of God. God is holy, he is holy, and he's holy. God hates sin. He can have nothing to do with evil. So when the Bible says rejoice always, do not think that the holy and righteous God is asking you to rejoice in evil and in sin and destruction and things that the enemy, the devil, and others bring into people's lives that you love and are close to. You don't have to rejoice in evil. That would be against the nature and character of God. Well, okay then. Well, how are you going to rejoice always if you don't rejoice in evil? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Buddy, this will set you free. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice 
in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You know what you do? You know how you rejoice always? You rejoice in the Lord always. God, it breaks my heart that my daughter made wrong choices and got in trouble. But God, I want to rejoice in you that you're forgiving God and you're restoring God. And you're the God that redeems the years that the enemy has stolen. And so, God, I'm rejoicing in you, Lord, that while I don't rejoice in the evil and the hurt, I rejoice in you, Lord, that you, you can have the final word. And you start rejoicing in the Lord instead of just looking at the evil. And, and what we find out when, when people close to us make wrong choices and sin comes into their life and messes them up and they're hurt and, and, and we love them, and, and, and we, 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 we can't rejoice in their choices and what they've done, but we can rejoice that, that God still loves them. And if we pray, we don't need to give up on them. I tell you, when the pain is real and you're thinking about someone that you love and the hurt and the pain that they've caused, and, 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 and you know, you just... What will help you is this, to don't focus on that, but just say, Lord, you love them. There's nowhere they can go to get out of your presence. They can go nowhere in this world that my prayers does not reach you and does not reach them. And, Lord, I'm not rejoicing in evil and sin and hurt. I'm not doing that, but I'm rejoicing in you, that you're the God who pursues people. You went looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? You're the God who goes after people. And you're the God who comes and redeems people from the hand of the enemy. Let me tell you something. So you lose your job. Or so you get into a situation where your health is failing. Let me say one thing. What you can do, what helps you. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. And it's hard to get... To, to, to stay under the storm when you're rejoicing. And even when it's, it's, you're not rejoicing in the situation, but you're rejoicing in the Lord. I'm telling you, if you walk in forgiveness by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what you're going through, you're going to find there's going to win. You, you're going to mount up and start begin to rise. Rise above the storm. You can fly above it. Because you're walking in forgiveness and you're rejoicing in the Lord. You know what the uh, writer said? The joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. When you rejoice in the Lord, that's where your strength comes from. From rejoicing in him. Here's the third thing. He said, do not render evil for evil. You forgive, you're going to soar. Rejoice always. You rejoice in the Lord regardless of your circumstances. You rejoice in the Lord regardless of what it is. And you just rejoice in him. And your faith is in him. And God's, with God all things are possible. And God can work everything for good if we love him. And so we're just going to rejoice in him. We're not going to focus on, on the evil. But the third thing says pray without ceasing. So we're, we're, we're forgiving only by the power of Jesus. And we're rejoicing even though our flesh doesn't want to rejoice, but only by the power of Jesus. But then what we're doing is we are, we're praying without ceasing. Now, you know, I, I've read that verse, read that verse, read that verse. I said, well, there's no way that can happen. I've always got things on my mind. 
There are too many pressures. I mean, I pray, but Lord, praying without ceasing, hey, there's too much going on. I mean, there's too much pressure, too much going on in my mind. My life's too cluttered. I can't do that. I mean, I mean, I guess Jesus did, but I don't know any, but maybe Paul did. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. You know what that means? It does not mean that you're always saying a prayer. It does not mean that you're always thinking a prayer. But you know what it means? This, this is the most liberating thing, one of the most liberating things I've ever, God's ever showed me. And I, it didn't, many people know this, but I'm just telling you, I, I, when I knew it, when it says pray without ceasing, he says, I want you to live in an atmosphere of prayer. I want you to breathe the atmosphere of prayer. I want the cloud that is over you, the cloud that you live under, the atmosphere that you live in. I want it to be an atmosphere of prayer. When good things happen to you, when good things are put on your plate, pray. Be thankful. When, when your children are doing great, bring home all A's, pray. I mean, when they're doing good, j- just Just live in the atmosphere of prayer. And whatever comes on your plate today, just pray about it. It may be a prayer of thanksgiving or rejoicing. But whatever bad comes on your plate, then you pray about that. So he didn't make all A's. I don't even know where they give A's anymore. He made all F's. (laughs) Well... My, my fear was if I made C on conduct, I was a dead man. I don't know why my daddy hated a C on conduct. I just talk, I just, my personality is to run my mouth. How could I be quiet? He talks too much. Well, anyway, let me go on. You see, what, what you do when you pray without ceasing is whatever comes into your life today, bad or good, you pray about it. That's the first thing you do. You start praying about it. If it's good, you're thanking him. If it's bad, now, Lord, this didn't catch you by surprise. This didn't escape you. It had to be filtered through your hands. My God, I, I, Lord, show me what to do. Show me how to respond. Show me how to pray. Lord, show me how to react. Lord, I want to live in an atmosphere of prayer. The air I breathe, I want to be the air of prayer. But what if you don't do that? Well, if you don't live in an atmosphere of prayer, and if you don't breathe the air of prayer, and you don't pray about everything that comes on your plate at any given day, guess what you do? There's another atmosphere. It's called the atmosphere of worry. It's called the cloud of worry. And so what you do, you live in an atmosphere of worry, and you live in a cloud of worry. Something good might happen, but you'll say, well, it ain't going to last. Something bad will happen. You say, I knew it was going to happen. And what you do, and whatever gets on your plate, instead of praying, instead of living in an atmosphere of prayer and crying out to God, who said, he said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. He said that. He said, just keep on. He says, pray and don't faint. So you're not living in an atmosphere of prayer, so you're living in an atmosphere and under the cloud of worry, and you just worry about everything that comes on your plate. You know, but they used to say people would be worry warts. I do not know what that means. 
So he's just a worry ward. I don't know what that means. But I guess it meant they worry at all times. I want to ask you a question. Are you a prayer? Are you a worrier? You're doing one or the other. I can assure you, you're either praying about things or you're worrying about things. I look the word worry up. Sometimes you just don't need to look them up. You don't think I, you know what that means? This is, it comes from the Latin word wortham, which means to grab by the throat and choke the life out of. I want to ask you a question. Does worry ever have you by the throat and choke the life out of you? I've seen it over and over again that instead of, we all have heartaches. We all have difficulties. We all have storms. We all have concerns. My heavens, you're not going to live a life without But you do one or two things about them. You either pray and ask God, and you keep praying, and you keep asking, and you keep trusting. Or you get over here, and you worry, and you worry, and you worry, and you worry. And all it does is choke the life out of you. You're never going to soar like an eagle if you live in an atmosphere of worry, which is another word for fear and another word for a lack of faith. I can assure you, if Jesus is in control of your life, if Jesus is in control of your life, and you're living under his authority, and you ask him to be your Lord, you can walk in forgiveness by his power, and you can rejoice in the Lord regardless of what your circumstances are. And I'll tell you what you find yourself doing. You'll find yourself praying instead of worrying. You know a good verse to put on the refrigerator? You need to put it, because that's where you go often. Put on the refrigerator. It says, listen to what this verse says. It's Philippians 4. Be careful for nothing. You know what that means? Don't worry. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. He said, don't worry about anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, when you pray, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Man, you want to soar? They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. And the wind, your storms, you're just going to ride the wind above the storm because with Jesus Christ in you, you're going to forgive, you're going to rejoice, and you're not going to worry. You're going to pray. Some of you just say, well, no, that's just who I am. Let me say something to you now. Don't you be like that lady that came to see me 25 years ago and she told me everything she was worrying about. It made me start worrying. But anyway, she told me everything she was worrying about. And finally, I said, listen, put this verse on your refrigerator. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. She said, won't do any good. I said, come on, come on. She said, you don't understand, Brother Fred. Worrying is a part of our family tree. <laughs> my grandmother worried, my mother worried, and I'm just like them. If I'd had any sense, I'd have said cut down the tree. But I didn't even think about it. But she meant that. She said, that's who I am. No, if you're a Christian, you are not a worrier. You're a person of faith. Here's the last thing. 
You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll soar above the storm. In Christ, who is our life, we forgive, we rejoice, and we pray. But in everything, give thanks. In everything. I'm glad it didn't say for everything. It didn't say for everything, give thanks. If the doctor comes out and tells me my wife has cancer, I'm saying, God, I'm so thankful she has cancer. I ain't going to do that. I could do it, but I wouldn't mean it. It doesn't say for everything, give thanks. Oh, no. It says in everything, give thanks. And you really can in everything, give thanks. If the doctor comes out and says, you have cancer, your wife has cancer, or whatever the bad news is, you can say, wow, Lord, I know that didn't catch you by surprise. But I want you to know, I want to thank you, Lord. Now, I'm thanking him in it. I want to thank you that you're the God that heals. And you're Jehovah Rophe. And you're the God that heals. And you told me to cry out to you. And so, Lord, I am thanking you that you're the God that heals. And I'm praying for you to heal my wife or my son. And, and so I'm thanking you in this situation. And I'm trusting you in it to work and to do mighty things. And, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not going through this alone. I'm thankful to you that you're in this with me. See, you're thankful in that situation because of God's grace and God's sufficiency and God's power. You're not thankful for that tragic thing, but you're thankful in it. And you really can be thankful in anything that comes into your life. What made me remember this, and I'm going to close right now. Let me tell you what made me remember that. That you can be thankful in it when you're not thankful for it. I was speaking to a group of men in, in uh, Brandon, Mississippi. And there was a man that came up to me afterwards and he said, uh, and I talked about you can be thankful in it when you're not thankful for it. He said, but Brother Fred, one year I felt like there was a wall between me and God. I remember it as like yesterday. I, there was a barrier. I just couldn't pray. I just couldn't pray. Because you see, my son worked the second shift. And he was, no, with the third shift, he was coming home early in the morning said, 19 years old. He was a godly young man, loved the Lord. He and I had a great relationship, but he fell asleep at the wheel, ran off the curb, and he was killed. And people said, well, now you just need to thank God for it. You just need. He said, I wasn't thankful that my son at 19 ran off a curb and hit a tree and was killed. I, I, if, if, even if I tried. Said, I couldn't be thankful for it. So I said, Well, God, evidently I'm not a good Christian. Evidently I don't understand. I said, Listen, I wouldn't be thankful if my son ran off a curve, was killed at 19. But I tell you what, you know what you told me about your son? You told me that he, was, he loved Jesus. You told me he was walking with God. And you told me that you and him had a great relationship. And he had a good testimony. Well, my heavens, what you can do is this. And what you need to do, you can say, Lord, I don't understand why this happened. I do not understand. And I'm really not thankful that my son died at 19 in a wreck. But I want to thank you this, Lord. I thank you that my son was saved. I thank you that he was living a righteous life. And I thank you that he and I had a great relationship. And I thank you that he was ready to meet God. And I thank you that one day I'm going to see him again. I'll always have some unanswered questions, Lord. But I want you to know I thank you in this what, Lord, if he had not been ready, I just want to thank you in it that he was ready. And I'm thankful in his death that it was not at a time when he was away from God. There's some things in your life 
that you can't be thankful for them. And some things that have happened in you. But you can thank God in it that he's with you. He loves you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you don't ever go through it alone. And you can trust him. And I want to tell you something. Man, when you walk in forgiveness and you're rejoicing in the Lord and you're praying instead of worrying and you have a thankful heart in any situation you're in, you know, it's like you begin to mount up with wings like eagles and you soar above the storm and the wind just keeps you there and it's the presence of God in your life you shall mount they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles